Hey, Reach Paramount, welcome to our podcast. We really hope this message encourages and challenges you as you walk with the Lord every day. Enjoy this message. Thank you. Amen. You guys, please be seated. Uh, it's, it's packed here today. Thank you, Lord. Uh, man, this series, I'm telling you that we're in, in um, Yahweh, the names of God. It's so, I think it's so powerful that we get to learn about our God and by the names that we call him. Uh, I kind of want to stick with the series, uh, probably get a little distracted here, but as I was reading Exodus chapter 15, it directed me to this message, and at the same time that I had read Exodus 15, there was two videos that I had seen online that, that uh, really kind of pushed me a little more to speak this message. But before we read Exodus 15, I want to share a little context real quick. Is God had used Moses to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt. There was a process to this. It didn't, he didn't just go into Pharaoh's presence and say, hey, let my people go. There was a process to that. And so I want to read that. I want to read this verse this God had literally just split the Red Sea for the Israelites to walk through. And then the Egyptians had chased them and the waters had collapsed on the Egyptians and they were drowned in the sea when the Israelites, Israelites made their escape. In this process, like you have to think about this as I read this scripture, it is literally titled Moses and Miriam's Song. Thank you for lowering it. I appreciate that. Um, they, they, this is their song. Like, let's just say God delivered the Israelites, split the Red Sea at 4 p.m. They're singing this song at 10 p.m. And so with that, I'm going to read Exodus chapter 15, uh, starting, I believe, uh, verse 1. We'll start at verse 1, I believe. It says this. It says, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Verse 5. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. We're talking about Yahweh, the names of God. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Other translations will say, the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host, the, um, he cast into the sea and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them and they went down into the depths like a stone. The Lord is a God of war. The Lord is his name. When I read this, I had this automatically, like I had a seesaw battle in my mind. I had a seesaw battle in my heart that we serve a God of war, but mainly we know him as what? A God of peace. Romans chapter 15, 33, Paul's telling the people, and the God of peace will be with you. God of war, God of peace. Can God be both a man of war and a man of peace? God will come into conflict with human beings because of their rebellion to him. God always prefers peace. God always seeks peace. But there are people and there are spiritual powers who have rebelled against God and who are fighting what God is trying to do here on this earth. So therefore, there are times and situations in which God comes into conflict with the enemies of those who love God. 
God is a God of peace. He always desires for peace between humans and peace between himself and us. However, the fact is, is that humans have rebelled against God and have turned to sin. This rebellion has brought warfare between people and a spiritual battle with God. So is God a God of peace? Absolutely. But, that does, but does that mean that he will not oppose those who are his enemy? No, it does not. I look at what God had to do in order for Pharaoh to let go of the Israelites from the slavery that they had faced. He sent eight plagues. He turned the Egyptians' water into blood. The Nile River was full of blood. Their drinking water full of blood. He sent frogs to infest their land. I mean, they were in their homes. They were coming out of their ovens. He, he sent gnats, and then he sent flies. And then all of their livestock and all of their supply to eat began to die. And that wasn't enough for Pharaoh. So what happens is then God sends boils on people. Now they're hurting. Now they need medication. Then he sends hail. He sends hail to Egypt. Then he sends locusts. But that wasn't enough. And if you're like me, you struggle with what God did next. You wrestle in your human heart and begin to wonder why God would do such a thing. This is what he does in Exodus chapter 11 before Pharaoh finally decided to let the people go. It says in 11 verse 4, So Moses said, Thus said the Lord, About midnight I will go into the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle, there shall be a great cry throughout the land of Egypt, such as there have never been, nor ever will be again. God of war, you stand in God's way. This is what happens. This is the God of the Old Testament, but we believe God to be the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? So will God do the same for those that oppose his people? So we have a God of war, and then we have a God of peace. What fuels the American church today? The God of peace. We're filled with, with the, the church is filled with, with these, these scriptures, right? With, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Go and I will make your path straight. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear. Do not be dismayed. I'm not belittling these scriptures. I'm implying that we have accepted these scriptures out of context to fit the narrative that works best for us and not God's will. You look at the garden. Adam and Eve rebelled against God, so he kicked them out of the garden. You look at Noah and the flood. You look at Sodom and Gomorrah. You even look at Uzzah, who was a man of God, killed because he made a mistake. A God of war against rebellion and against wickedness. You have an Old Testament generation that believed in this God of war. And we have today's American Christianity that is just filled and consumed with this God of peace. 
like I said, this, this message was inspired also by two videos that I had seen. It was a podcast that, that this video kind of went viral, showed up on my feed. Uh, you have a podcast, 10 plus people, five of them, let's just say, split the table. Five of them were, were believers that believed and trusted in the word of God. And then the other five were so-called believers that believe that God is tolerant, that believe that God created people to, to, to be whatever they want to be. It's okay for a man to be a woman and a woman to be a man. It's okay to get an abortion. It's okay to live a homosexual, homosexual lifestyle. As long as you believe in God, it's okay because such a loving God created these people. And there was a table that was split. One of the questions that the, that, that the believers that read the word had asked the other side of the table, they said, is God tolerant? And they said, of course he's tolerant because he's a God of love, because he's a God of peace. And I even, man, you, you even think of, consider these verses of Jesus saying that he's the prince of peace, right? He's the son of God. He's the prince of peace. But then he also tells the people, he says, do, do not be misled. I did not come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. And so you have these scriptures, two separate verses that on the surface, they contradict themselves, but because people don't pick up their word, they don't understand because we're filled with preachers that trust their own voice and their own revelation. They, mis they mislead a generation. They mislead the flock. So I ask you, is God tolerant? Modern society and culture praise this virtue in every school setting, in every media outlet, on the job training, and of course on all over social media platforms. That there seems to be no truer way of loving another person than to fully accept everything about them. And Christians have, have often joined this tidal wave of, of mainstream value and they even long to, to be uh, accepted of others' opinions and lifestyles. On the surface, they may see, this may seem like a positive virtue, one that exemplifies the life of a Christian, right? But have you ever considered that tolerance is never encouraged in the Bible? The fruit of the Spirit includes love and kindness, but missing from the list is tolerance. In fact, Christians aren't called to be tolerant because we serve an intolerant God. Christians today are so afraid of drawing the line, of standing on one side, to stand ten toes down and proclaim that sin is sin. Sin according to the written word of God, to the Bible that we read, not my own opinions, not the moral stance of the church, but sin according to the word of God. But when we accept that sin is sin and we draw that line and we stand on the side of God, we can lovingly express the goodness of the gospel. People live in rebellion. That's the truth. Sin must be paid for. To tolerate evil is to deny justice. God unleashes his full wrath on evil because, check this out, because he is good. If good tolerated evil, it would cease to be good. Refusal to tolerate sin then is an essential part of loving others as well. Here's an example. If it might be tolerant for a mother to let her children play in a busy street or run with scissors, but it's not loving in the least. Sin is harmful. That's why we should hate it as God hates it. Even if we don't understand the harm that may be caused, love the sinner, hate the sin, just as Christ showed us on that cross. So today, 
I pray that we are able to break bondages and mindsets that we have in our hearts. You are accountable for your own walk with God. I pray that we would see that God is not tolerant, that there is a line that needs that, that is drawn, that sin is sin, and then unless that we're on God's side, that we are against him. And that not only do we serve a God of peace, a God of peace that gives me peace in my circumstances. Is there suffering in this world? Yes. Will Christians have suffering in their life? Yes. But when I have God, he gives me peace. And when I have peace in my suffering, I have understanding that it is worth the while. So can we pray? Can you agree with me and pray? And just ask the Lord, soften my heart, Lord. That if he's speaking to you already, just say, God, will you just begin to till the soil? I want to receive your word today. Father, we thank you, God, for who you are and what you do. I set myself aside and pray that your Holy Spirit would go forth and touch every single heart. I pray, God, you would fight for every single soul in this place. God, let somebody be snatched from the fire today. I pray that our understanding will grow deeper, that our love for you from, will grow deeper. But most importantly, I pray today, God, that somebody would turn from their ways, that they would change their mind and repent, God, and choose you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, DJ. Um, man, I'm so grateful to be a part of this church. I'm so, I feel like a spoiled son of this house, uh, and that is the truth, because I get to serve under the ministry of Pastor Omar and in his prime. You hear me? In your prime. That's right. Yeah. And so... We love and honor Pastor Omar, Sister Letty. Uh, also honor uh, my, my other pastors, the assistant pastors of this house. Uh, Pastor Isaac, love his family. Pastor Rob, I love your family. Uh, Pastor Jacob and Linda, they're doing an amazing job with the youth. Yeah. We, lo we love our pastors, Pastor Omar. And uh, notice how I didn't call any of the women pastors. Oh, I said too much. Let me move forward. My bad. We honor, we honor all the lives, the family's lives. We appreciate you guys. We're so grateful for what the Lord is doing in this house. I want to honor my wife. On Sunday, we celebrated her 32nd birthday. I don't know how much longer I'm able to expose her age until she gets mad at me, but she's 32 years old. She is older than me. Yeah. She refuses to accept that she's a cougar, but it is what it is. I mean, hey. Uh, but... And uh, <laughs> she's, also, uh, she's also six months pregnant with, uh, with our third child. Amen. I'm so excited to hold our baby girl. Uh, we don't have a name yet, but right now she's baby girl. So I'm excited. Love this church. All right, here we go. If you had foreknowledge of a tragic event that was to happen, would you not warn the people? Like... You have foreknowledge of something bad that's going to happen. You came from the future, and you know something. And uh, uh, what great lengths would you go to, to to warn the people? On September 11, 2001, terrorists linked to the Islamic extremist group Al-Qaeda, founded by Osama bin Laden, hijacked four commercial passenger airplanes, carried out suicide attacks against targets in the United States. The planes were flown into the World Trade Center in New York City. Almost 3,000 civilians died, including 343 members of New York City Fire Department and 71 law enforcement officers. This is considered one of the most tragic events in U.S. history, if you had foreknowledge of this event, would you not be standing in the lobby of the two towers? Would you not be standing in New York City screaming and shouting and warning, warning the mothers, warning the fathers, warning all the bosses and the CEOs that something tragic is going to happen? 
What great lengths would you go to, to to tell people that something bad is going to happen? If you can go back to that day, what great lengths would you go through? No matter how foolish you look, how, how, how far are you willing to help save the people, to give them information that will save their life? How far would you go looking foolish that one person rejects your message? Would you stop there because you're discouraged or would you go on to inform other people that something tragic is going to happen? Would you tell the father, the, the, the mother, like maybe call out today and maybe do these things and, 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 and we, we honor the sacrifice that the, that the uh, first responders made, but what great lengths would you go to? I believe that there is no believer with the love of God in their hearts that could sit back and do nothing. While that is all hypothetical, here comes Jesus Christ who came from where? He came from eternity. Jesus Christ had all foreknowledge of what is to come on this earth. He, he comes, he comes the, uh, through the birth of a virgin. He lives his life. He grows up as a child. He grew up in the temple. He grew up studying the scriptures. He, he, he did all of these things. He gets baptized at the age of 30, starts his ministry, and for three years, he revolutionized the world. For three years, Jesus is standing in the lobby of earth, which is Israel, and he's telling everyone of what is to come. He has foreknowledge of what is to come on this earth. So every single teaching, every deliverance, every prophetic word, every city that he's gone to, he is warning the people that something is going to happen. We're going to read out of our main context today, which is uh, from Matthew chapter 5 to Matthew chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount. This is probably regarded as one of the most powerful, the greatest sermon ever known. This, from Matthew chapter 5 to Matthew chapter 7, Jesus goes on to teach. And he goes on to share the greatest principles possible. I mean, this is the blueprint for the greatest life possible. This blueprint is so powerful that I believe that people that, that, that aren't even saved, people that aren't believers, people that aren't disciples, that if they were just to follow this blueprint, they would have a successful life. This blueprint is so powerful for human flourishing. You want to flourish in life? Just read the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to fly through them. If you have your word, you can open up to Matthew chapter 5. I'm not going to read many of them. We're just going to fly through it. He begins with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Um, blessed are the meek. The salt and the, and the light. You are salt to the earth. Go and be the light. He says to how Christ came to fulfill the law. He also talks about anger. This is a powerful principle for all people that struggle with anger. As it struggles with anger. As it says, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to the same judgment. That, that, that's, that's powerful teaching, right? goes on to talk about adultery. If we were to hold this close to our heart, for all of humans to flourish, our divorce rates would go down. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in her heart. He, Jesus goes on to talk about divorce. Talks about keeping your word and oaths and your promises. He says, eye for an eye. Right? I want to read that one because I struggle with that one. I'm waiting to pop off on somebody. It says, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek also. I was taught to bite. You put me in a corner, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go hard. Like a little pit bull. That's what my wife calls me. She says, I'm a boo dog. 
right? An eye for an eye. We, man, this is human flourishing right here. Love your enemies. Jesus, you have heard that it was said, love your enemy and love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Giving to the needy. And I'm, I want to stop on this one real quick. For all you social media influencers and wannabe influencers and all the other people, it says this. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So go ahead and encourage the other believer. Go ahead and show people that there's good, there's good life and there's hope in the world. The shivery isn't dead. But you have no reward in heaven. Sorry. All right. It goes on to say prayer, right? It talks about prayer. He talks about fasting. It talks about treasure in heaven. Do not store your treasure here on earth where it just where moth and vermin and rust destroy, but but put your treasure in heaven. Human flourishing. Jesus is now getting into, into theology, into scripture. Do not worry. Man, if we would really trust and believe in Jesus' teaching, the world would be a better place. Right? Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you worrying add a single hour to your life? Jesus also goes to talk about judging others. Man, the world loves to tell Christians, well, don't judge others, right? They, they quote the scripture all the, all, all the time, right? Do not judge or you too will be judged. That's what they say. Can I tell you the appropriate uh, context and the appropriate interpretation of the scripture is not that we don't judge, it's that we judge appropriately. It says, for in the same way you judge others, because we judge others, you will be judged. And with measure you use, it will be measured to you. We judge appropriately. As believers, we judge by what? By people's fruits. So Jesus now pivots to deeper teaching. He goes on to share these great things that the world does, that the world needs for human flourishing. But now he goes in to talk about ask, seek, and knock. And it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Then he goes on to talk about narrow, the narrow and the wide gate. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide, is the, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Goes on to talk about false prophets. We got those left and right everywhere. Jesus is preaching this message. Right? The Sermon on the Mount, one of the greatest messages ever record, recorded. He's preaching this message, and at the end of this message, he is now shouting to the world because he has foreknowledge of what is to come. He knows the future, so now we pivot to Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Jesus is ending his Sermon on the Mount, and he says this. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons in your name, perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. I want to stop with the first thing. I mean, the first thing that you read. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. I believe to this day, that there are many believers and there are many of you even here sitting in your seat that have a false assurance of your salvation. It says that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Jesus is making it very clear on the people that he's speaking to. 
There are people who think they're in a good place, but they are not. They have a false assurance or distorted view of God's grace. He's not talking to the atheist. He's not talking to the Muslim. He's, talk, he's not talking to anyone else. How do I know that? Because those people would not call him Lord. And then you go a little deeper. It says, they call him Lord, Lord. In every, every type of translation there is, it is said twice. Lord, Lord. Not just once, but twice. This not only confirms the people that he's talking to, this confirms um, the repetition of Lord, Lord is a term of endearment. I really believe I'm saved. So it's Lord, Lord. He's talking to a people who have been in church their whole life. He's talking to people who call themselves Christians, who go to the Christian concerts, they, list, they buy the Christian books. They do all of these things that Christians do. But people think just because they have an interest in Christ that they are in Christ. There are a lot of people who like Jesus, but they're not like Jesus. He's someone we admire, but he's not someone we're surrendered to. He's someone that we appreciate, but he's not somebody we're surrendered to. And this is the fallacy of today's believers, because we either have a false assurance that you and God are in a good place, or you have a wrong misconception on what it takes to get to heaven. I think it's great that we give glory to God for things in our life. And a lot of people usually do, which makes them think they're in a good place with God, but in reality, they are far from him. So how do we have real assurance? The Bible tells us in the same scripture, it tells us only those who do the will of the Father, who do the will of the Father, not just thinking, not just believing, not just harboring it in your heart with wishful thinking and all these great motivations that we have for everyday life. It says those who do this is an action. This is where your faith and your works come together. You ask yourself, what is the will of the Father? It is the Father's will for us to repent and be saved. It is the Father's will for us to obey the, the teachings of the scriptures, to walk in the principles of them, to love him and put him first because there shall be no other idols other than God. So not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, but those that do the will of the Father. When we see faith and works put together, we call those fruit. We see the fruit of the lives and the work of the Holy Spirit uh, that, that is happening. So that is false assurance. The next thing that I want to look at is, check this out, false activity. It says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons. And in your name perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Man, he's talking to people who don't belong to him, but are doing things in his name. They're performing miracles. It says it. They're casting out demons. They're prophesying. They're seeing the miracles. People who don't belong. People who don't have the Holy Spirit, but they're doing these things. They laid hands on somebody, it must be God. They preach great sermons. Their churches are packed and filled to the brim. They must be a man of God. They have a big Instagram following. They must be a man of God. They have amazing deliverance ministry. They must be filled with the Holy Spirit. We fall in love and are moved by any ministry that comes in the name of Jesus because we lack discernment. Did you know that there is somebody else in the world that gives people the power to do these things? He empowers them to preach. 
The devil empowers people to teach. He empowers people to lead. And watch this. He even empowers, he even empowers people to do fake exorcisms to camouflage demonic activity. You look at Moses when he went when he went before he threw air he threw he threw the staff down right, that staff turned into a snake. But guess what? There were other people in Pharaoh's courts that also threw their staff down and turned to snakes. There are there are there is false activity out there. Yeah, these people may have something going for them. We love and admire these ministries. And we even like them. But let me tell you something. Just because you have an amazing work, uh, me personally, I got to watch you for a little bit. Everything that I've been through and the maturity that God is bringing me through, I see that you have a great ministry. And not because I'm this dope person that, that you need validation from, but from my own personal, uh, from my own personal strength, I got to watch you for a little bit. I need to check you for your fruits. Words and character proven over time will reveal someone's fruit. So no matter how big their ministry is or what they're glorified for on the outside, you should always care more and be more interested than somebody's character than their gifting. Don't impress me with your gift. I'm checking for your fruit and your character. I don't care what they do, but for your protection, I say this, character is always going to be more important than gifts. So you have false false assurance, false activity. The last one we're going to look at uh, is false acceptance. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 23, he says, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. These are words that no human being ever, they will ever be ready to hear. I don't care how tough you are. I don't care what you've been through in life. I don't care if you're sitting there right now and these words are going one ear and out the other. You will not be ready for these words right here. Depart from me, for I never knew you. You evildoers, you workers of lawlessness. Man, I wonder why we keep playing around with Jesus. I wonder why we come into the house of the Lord and we still have a preference of what we want to hear. We still have a preference of what we want to believe. And we have a preference of how we want to live on our own accord. So you can sit there and you can do whatever you want. You can suck your thumb and you can tell everyone all these sweet nothings. But your heart is not right with the Lord. I guarantee you, you are not ready to hear these words. And one of my biggest struggles and battles that I face as I've been preparing this message is, is I wrestle in, in the spirit and I'm praying and I'm believing for breakthrough. I'm believing that there is a seed planted. I'm believing that somebody would heed these words and turn away from their sin and put God first. That no matter how much I prepare for this message or pray over it or how much I want God to use me, there will still be somebody in this room, somebody that will hear these words and still reject the message. You are in bondage. That is bondage. That is one of the most dangerous places to be. More dangerous than a person who has never heard the word. Because you hear it and you still reject it. And the shock of your life with anticipation, waiting to see the king, only to hear, depart from me. You workers of lawlessness. And for far too long, ministers and preachers and and people who have abused the pulpit have painted a picture of false assurance which has led to false acceptance. And there are people all across the faith who believe that they will get into heaven off of their good morals. 
off of their good behavior, off of your biblical knowledge, off of your degrees, off of your church attendance, your church friends. But, but you could only walk through that narrow gate alone. You will have to give an account for yourself. Not for your wife, not for your children, not for your connect group, not for all the things that God has done in, for you. Why do these people have to depart? What are, the, what are the prerequisites of having to be departed? It says this, it says, he called them workers of lawlessness. Who are workers of lawlessness? Who are people that are lawless? Is they hear and they see, but they do not do. So I know you can serve. I know that you can post. I know that you can pray for your food. I know that you, that you have all the podcasts. You even have a joint Facebook account with your spouse for accountability purpose. That's super cute. Go for it. You got all that. But is there evidence of a life that is surrendered, doing the will of the Father? Not acknowledging the will, but doing the will of the Father. So Jesus isn't playing around here. The greatest sermon for the greatest blueprint of life, human flourishing. He, he, Jesus is not asking for an amen. He's not asking for, that was a great message. He's not asking for a love offering. He's asking for a decision. Jesus, is, Jesus closes his sermon asking for a decision. It says this in, in, in verse 24. It says, therefore, everyone, say everyone. All people of all time that will ever live, everyone. It says, therefore. So everything that I said before, the beatitudes, the salt and the light, the anger, the false prophets, the, the giving to the needy, everything that I said there, I am now going to pull that together with something that I'm about to say. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. You have two people. You have two groups. You have two settings. You have the rock and you have the sand. You have two houses, one built on the rock and one built on the sand. These houses are representing human beings. The rain, the wind, the storm. This represents the common trials of life and the judgment that we all must face. Two builders, two foundations. So one on the rock. If you're going to build on the rock, guess what? That's going to take more time. It's going to take more effort. Hear this. It's going to take more work. It's going to be more exhausting. You have to dig. You have to put something into the rock. You have to drill deep down. You have to go past the surface level and the mundane. You have to go deep in order for your house to be solidified and to be fortified. It's not the easy way. It's the hard way. I could, I could go to Huntington Beach right now, whatever beach you prefer. We stay away from Dockweiler. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. 
I can go to the beach right now and I could build a fortress for my kids. It's going to be great. But it won't last. It takes work to build. And then, and then there's people who build on the sand. It's easy to build on sand. You don't have to drive very deep. You don't have to put in much work. Water gets to sand. Rain gets to sand. Wind gets to sand. And guess what? It shifts the foundation. That's why if your house is built on sand, which is everything other than the word of God, sand is your opinion, sand is the false beliefs, sand is the ideology, it's articles online, sand is the teachings of the Pharisees and the false prophets, sand is everything your grandmama taught you, your granddad taught you, your mom taught you, your dad taught you, everything that they taught you that wasn't connected to the word of God. Every single person, I dare to say, every preacher has a boundary on what they speak about. It's from Genesis to, to Revelation. Every single believer has a boundary on how they should live. It's from Genesis to Revelation. And because we build our house on sands, guess what? You're easily moved. Your foundation is easily shifted. And, and it's moved with the culture. The sand, when it's built on that, it tells you how to think, how to move, how to feel, how to believe. We are all building our houses on one or the other. Do not be fooled and do not be dismayed. There is no middle ground. You are here right now listening to my voice. You are either building your house on the rock or you're building it on the sand. There's no neutral ground. If I could have the keys come up. I want to read Revelation chapter 21. Jesus will begin to, he begins to tell us what it's like when you built your house on a rock and what it's like when you built your house on sand. Jesus, who was always in heaven at the right hand of the Father, that everything that was made on this earth was made through him. He comes with foreknowledge to the earth. He shouts, he prays, he prophesies, he delivers. And he's telling you these words, that if your house is built on sand or if it's built on rock, this is the outcome right here. In Revelation chapter 21 verse 3, it says, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. Holy Spirit, help me. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. There will be no more mass shootings. There will be no more mothers drowning their babies. There will be no more hurt. There will be no more wars. There will be no more political injustice. He says he will wipe away every tear. This is a promise for those whose house is built on the rock. I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for the words are trustworthy and true. You believe in God, you believe in this word. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this. And I will be their God and they will be my children. I need this. I need you to need this. 
before I get angry, my heart is broken. Because Sunday in, Sunday out, you profess with your mouth, but your hearts are far from him. And it takes a realization of self. I can come up here, preach and scream and say all of these things. But unless you come to terms with yourself, there's no false, there's no false assurance, false activity, false self. You need to come to terms with yourself. And that, that is the promise for those who build their house on the rock. What happens to those who build their foundation on sand? Revelation chapter 21 verse 8. The verse immediately after it says this. But the cowardly, the unbelieving. God is, Jesus is now drawing the line because he has foreknowledge of what's to come. But now he's speaking as if it's already done. This is his view on those who build their house on sand. The cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all the liars, those who go to pride parades, grown men wearing underwear, twerking in front of children, all of those who've had abortions, all of those who pay for abortions, all of the companies that pay for the abortions, all of these people, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. The chapter right before, he even explains a little more. Revelation chapter 20, verse 13. I'm not sure I gave you this. It says, this is called the great white throne judgment. This is right here. The end, this is the, the end of time. It says this. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone's name who was not written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Final judgment, permanent ending. There are two permanent locations on which your soul will rest for all of eternity. You're in this place. I'm sure you believe that there is a heaven and there is a hell. Which one will you go to? Which foundation are you building your house on? How certain are you that you're going to heaven or that you're going to hell? On a scale of zero to ten, zero meaning I know for a fact that I can be... I'm going to have a cardiac arrest, die right now. I know I'm going to hell. And 10, knowing for sure that you're going to heaven. Zero to 10. Let me tell you something. One to nine, it's all the same thing. It's all the same. So we have to be sure, knowing that I'm right with the Father. That yes, I fall. And yes, it, life is hard. And temptations get me. But I'm going to stand up again. We're all going to fall short of the glory of God. No one is perfect. Every single person here will fail. Every single person will sin again. But let me tell you something. The sheep, they fall in the mud. But the pigs, they will play in it. Which foundation are you building your house on? Check, check this out. Matthew chapter 10, verse 14. Jesus goes on to say, And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words... Shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than that town. 
Here you have an innocent man in our Lord Jesus Christ, whipped, beaten, nailed to a tree, bearing the sins of the world on his shoulders for you and for me. For the lost, for the broken, for the confused, for the angry, for the suicidal, for all. That anyone who will believe in him. Not just wishful thinking, not just positive thoughts. But those that will surrender themselves to the will of the Father. Those that will say, I'm going to change my mind. And then I will allow the Lord to change my heart. Is this the picture of a tolerant God who ignores evil? Allowing his son to die on a cross for our sins? No. This is a gruesome picture of divine wrath and judgment. (laughs) This story makes no sense if God is a tolerant God. The cross demonstrates God's character in all of its complexity. It shows his love, kindness, and mercy united with his justice, holiness, and wrath. It perfectly demonstrates a God who surpasses understanding. The Lord is giving us a glimpse into the immensity of his love for us. The love of God is not a tolerant love. It is much better. It is a redemptive love. Sunday in, Sunday out. We serve in the church. We even married a Christian spouse. We teach our kids the Bible verses. We do these things on the outside, but what is, what is the Lord telling you in your heart right now? Because we're here Sunday in, Sunday out, Wednesday. I mean, we're here on a Wednesday night. He's in our Instagram bios. We put our pictures up and we quote the scriptures. But some, but some of us, we look at the page and you're no different than the world. You don't value your body, so therefore you show the whole world what you're working with. Go for it. Do your thing. No fruit. No, I'm saying, I'm, I'm dead serious. You can get online right now with these Christian influencers. They got a Bible verse in their, in their, in their bio, but yet their page looks like an OnlyFans. You got men. You, got, you, got, you, 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 wear, you wear the cross on your neck. You got the Christian tattoos, but you're in the club. You're drinking, you're smoking, you're justifying your lifestyle. That God is a tolerant God. He loves me for who I am. There is nothing that can separate me from the love of God. But because you have a broken view of God's grace, you have false assurance. And you are not ready for that day when you come before the Lord and he says, Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. Because we're dumb, uneducated, and disobedient. We don't read the word, but we trust a man from, from, from a screen. We trust a man with a microphone that surely what he says must be good enough. I need the scripture for myself. Because one day Pastor Omar is going to be gone. One day you'll have no evangelist. One day you'll have no connect group leader. But will you have the word of God that is written inside of your heart? Where will you be when all things fail, when people fail you, relationships fail you, when no one else is around, when it's a Thursday and I fell and I'm broken and I'm hurting and no one else is to be found and the, and the message on Wednesday is messing me up and, and, the, and, the, and the seed that was planted today, the devil tried to rob it. So now you don't make it to Sunday. There was somebody in my life right now who, who, was, who was an alcoholic who, who is recovering. He's maybe, maybe two months sober. Text me. Hey, hey, John, when you get to work, can we pray? Because he's taking it a day at a time. 
He knows it's a day at a time. Your walk with God is a day at a time. Read your word. Pray. Get before the Lord. Get on your face. Just acknowledge him on the way to work. Do something. Because we watch what our kids watch. We don't tolerate some things that our kids watch. We won't even walk through Target this month because of what they got going on. Right? We're watchful. But we're not watchful over our own souls. We want to be, be morally inclined to do good. We want to have good Christian standards. But we, want, we don't want to be connected to the vine. We don't want to sacrifice ourselves daily because that hurts too much. We don't want to build on the rock because it takes too much work. I want the easy, convenient way. As long as we have itching ears, there will always be a market for the false prophet. Ministries will get big. Churches will get big. We will struggle here until we get a new building. Time, it, it is a small churches. It's a place like this to where I say, you know what? What are they preaching? I want to know their fruits. I want to see what they're doing. I want to know how the pastor treats his wife. I want to see all fruit. But people are bound and they want to go with the bright lights and they want to go uh, into the churches that are doing dramas and, 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 and doing all these things. Just basically, they're doing everything short of sin. The Lord is correcting you. He's rebuking you. There's no coincidence that you're here today. There are some people that know you're building your house on a rock. It's hard. You're tired. You're weary. But do not give up on doing good. For in time, you will reap a harvest. There is nothing on this world. I mean, my goodness, the trials here on this earth are nothing compared to the glory that is to come. I'm fighting for my crown. I want to give you a piece of my crown, but I can't. I want to do everything that I can to, to snatch somebody out of the fire, to come to the Lord, to build your house on the rock, to repent. If I could have every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we thank you, Lord. The Lord is speaking to you. He's calling out to you. He is shouting from the lobby of your heart right now. And he's saying, come, all who are weary and heavy laden, who are burdened, and I will give you rest. He's knocking on the door of your heart, and he's just asking for you to open that door, and he will come, and he will dine with you. He will give you peace. He will give you hope. But knowing that I fight a spiritual battle, I want the creator on my side. God is calling you to repentance right now. It doesn't matter how many times you've done it. It doesn't matter what you feel about yourself. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now. He's calling you to repent. He's saying, you know what? Let's rebuild. Today is a day of salvation. If that's you, I want you to come to this altar right now. I want you to come. Don't worry about what anyone else is thinking. Don't worry about what people are going to think of you. You say, you know what? I want to make my heart right with the Lord. There are some things in my life that I know I need to get rid of. There are some things in my life, my life I know that I need to repent for doesn't matter how perfect you are. It doesn't matter how many times you come to the church. You say, you know what, Lord? Today is the day that I want to repent. There are things that I want to give to the Lord. All across this place, people being honest with themselves. They say, today I repent. 
Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com slash give.